Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. If you are within the sound of my voice, and you haven't visited binawake.com and subscribed with your email address, I need you to follow me today. Welcome back. I don't think there, you know, this might be a short show today because I don't think there was a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of news this week. He said, ironically, I started out talking this week about, you know, Jim Crow, voter ID, and and now it, it would appear that at least in at least in the libertarian orbit, it should be the entire American political orbit, but at least in the libertarian orbit, the world was set on fire. Why? <laughs> Why? Why you might ask if this is, you know, that this is your show and thank you so much for listening. Because every single thing, every, not every single, the one of the biggest things that those of us who have been warning about the government overreaches over the last year in relation to the pandemic, every, almost everything we said came to fruition this week when the president of the United States called for vaccine passports. We're going to get into it. A lot of people have covered it this week, but I want to start today. I want to start today by talking about a tweet from Reason editor Robbie Suave. And I need to pull up the Bible verse. Okay, so Robbie Suave, nice guy, decent dude. I've never met him before. Um, Really good writer. Not, uh, this is not... um, Good writer. He's covered a lot of stuff really, really well. Philosophy, I would think, admittedly, not his game. It is mine, though. See, what I'm going to do is think deeper than just taking things at face value. What a journalist does, what a journalist is supposed to do, is kind of record what happens and then, you know, amalgamate facts and information for you. And I'm not a journalist, I'm not an editor. Okay. I'm thinking deeper and I'm looking at the consequences two and three steps away from where we are today. And my political philosophy as such is that, by the way, is to look at the ramifications of what's going to happen. I found a home in libertarianism. So, so what, what, did Robbie, what did Robbie tweet out? Again, nice dude. Especially if he hears this, you know, good hair too. I respect that. We can split this baby. No state mandated vaccine passports, not now, not ever. If private entities want employees or customers to get vaccinated, fine by me. Of course, this is in response to the vaccine passports that Joe Biden is calling for, that Governor Cuomo is calling for in New York that other politicians and pundits are going on cable news channels and saying that 
that you know we need to have this this is this is the only way we can get back to normal of course world has been normal for those of us willing to walk outside without a mask on but let's let's stick to the story of what Robbie tweeted out because frankly this shows this this actually is very insightful as to the nature of humanity as to the nature of mankind this sort of thinking the way that he is laying this out let's split the baby well what's that a reference the only thing that that conjures up to mind as far as i know he hasn't written about this he hasn't expounded upon it at least not on the tweet that he sent out this is conjuring to mind to me at least the story of Sol- king solomon so let's let's on this on this the high on this holy week i am recording this in, during holy week for for jews for the jewish people as well as for christians and catholics worldwide this is a holy week so let me read from the bible uh, i guess this is the contemporary english version not a big fan so we're going to switch to the new american standard bible i'm very excited to be editing this on my new computer one day two women oh wow <laughs> apparently in this, the two then two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him the one woman said this is first kings chapter 3 verse 16 to 28 the one woman said pardon me my lord This woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. And it happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. Then this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your servant was asleep. And she laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I got up in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I examined him closely in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, for the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, for the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. So they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, This is my son who is living, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, for your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Cut the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. But the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king. For she was deeply stirred over her son, and she said, Pardon me, my lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other woman was saying, He shall be neither mine nor yours, cut him. Then the king replied, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard about the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king because they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. And Robbie Suave says we can split this baby. It's a metaphorical baby, of course. What the baby is, I'm not quite sure. 
if if I wanted to go to the you know worst case scenario, the baby is is Western civilization as we know it. The baby is your very way of life. In the short term, the baby are your, is your civil liberties. Your the the way you the, the way you wake up and walk outside of your door and what you think is right and wrong. See, you can't split a baby. Because if you cut a baby in half, it dies. So this isn't something where we have to think in terms of some weird world that doesn't exist. Some idealized world, which I've always despised about all types of political thought. All types of political thought that rely on idealism have caused the deaths of millions for all of human history. This isn't, this isn't something that we can split. There is, no, there is no private entity that wants a vaccine passport without the government at the center of it, which is exactly what I wrote about on Tuesday. All this has happened before and all this has happened again. So listen to me, Robbie Suave. You can't split a baby in half. If you do, it dies. And if you're going to split liberty in half, how dare you call yourself a libertarian? How dare you call yourself somebody who cares about civil liberties and cares about the future of humanity? And I get it, by the way. This is, a, like I said, this is a very human thing. Your human brain is designed to, make, to have things make sense. Most people, Tim Pool did this too, by the way. And I, and I like Tim Pool. He's a nice person. He's a good person, I think. But Tim Pool did the same thing because your brain, the natural state of your brain, even if you're a journalist, even if you're somebody who tries to question things, the natural state of your brain is to make sense of things. Your, the natural state of the human brain goes something like this. You believe what's told to you. What, what, what other choice do you have? Think of yourself as a child learning things about the world. If you doubted, <laughs> if you doubted that your that that you know your mother was going to provide you food, how would you survive? This it's kind of it, this is um, if you get into philosophy and the skeptical schools, which is which is where my interests lie, you'll you'll see this. This is a, usually a very common thing. Well, if you're a skeptic and you're not sure what truth is, then how can you know gravity exists? And how can you know that if you don't wake up tomorrow, you won't fly off into the future? And, and that's not that's not at least that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about skepticism. Skepticism is is doubt before in, or is is inquiry before dogma. It is doubt before assent. And the natural state of the human brain, rightly so in many cases, is to figure out how to make things work under the structure that you're given, especially when that structure is given to you by people with more power, more control, and more influence. This isn't programming. This isn't brainwashing. This isn't thinking for yourself, man. This is just how humans work. This is why Jordan Peterson talked about lobsters. The point about lobsters was not whatever the heck you think it is, if you're, if you're not somebody who's followed Jordan Peterson closely. The point of lobsters was that hierarchy is ingrained into our consciousness on a biological level. 
which is actually a very freeing notion because it helps put things into perspective. It's not some idealism where we're all the exact same. It is a recognition of the way things, the way things are and that we can prove through scientific testing and so on. I tweeted, or I didn't tweet, I was texting a friend of mine. A friend of mine sent me um, uh, the, the link of Tim Pool's video talking about vaccine passports. And, and I, don't know, I don't know what updates he's done. This was his initial one that I watched. Um, and it was, and, you know, and I, I felt like it was worth me sharing what I sent to this friend because he texts a lot. Uh, because, because this, it, 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 this is the same exact thing that Robbie Suave is doing here. This is, and this is what I can't stand. Right. So, you know, listen, I'm in this space, I'm producing a show, I'm writing content. I'm trying to gain a following. I'm trying to bring you along to the path of better sense making. That's my mission. That's the mission we engage in here. And if you'd like to help, you can go to binawake.com slash subscribe, subscribe to the Substack. It's $50 for a year. That price is going to go up by 50 bucks come, um, come January, uh, J- July 31st. It's a special price. Get that price forever, $50 a year. You can also go to buymeacoffee.com slash awake, And you can do a one-time donation through PayPal if you'd prefer. But you can put it on your credit card if you go to, if you go to binawake.com slash subscribe. What Tim Pool does that I can't stand is, is kind of like this. And this is, this is a fake quote of Hibbs, right? And, and, and if you listen to Tim Pool with any regularity, and you'll see this with a lot of other creators too, this is exactly what people do. Well, I mean, I've had to do something like this in one instance before, but it's not exactly the same thing now. And what we're kind of talking about now is to do this, but maybe not. So basically a lot of people are messing this story up and it's making it difficult for anyone to see clearly. This is why I'm not going to do anything or try to understand the consequence of my decision. And basically if it's not Joseph Stalin staring at me, the staring at me in the face, that this is something he would like and telling me that it can't be as bad as it is until it is. And then, and then at that point, when it is that bad, you know, the real problem is that our culture is not unified. There you go. Sorry, Temple. Please have me on your show. <laughs> and listen, there's, and, and in many cases, that's why he gets stories right and he does chase it down. But this isn't something where you can kind of just rely on your, on your basic sense, on your basic senses and on, well, I've done something kind of like this. So I guess it makes sense that we should now have vaccine passports. I had to get a yellow fever shot before I went to another country. And so that means I have to have a vaccine passport. We're not talking about a disease. This is, this is what we don't do in these kinds of conversations. And the reason why the corporate press and the government doesn't do it is because they don't have your best interests at heart. And the reason why other people don't do it is because they don't have a basis of skepticism which has trained my brain to look for the problems in things before I, before I say it's a good idea. The only reason why anybody is talking about a vaccine passport is because the government has basically made you a prisoner in your home. And so like somebody with Stockholm syndrome, you are saying anything for me to be free, anything for me to have a semblance of the life that I used to have. And I feel, I feel for these people who haven't been able to go outside because they've been terrified by the media. I feel for these people who, who have to 
double mask when they walk outside. The faceless is what I call them. I understand the fear that's been driven into their system. And I can't save them all and neither can you. But we can stand and we can be counted. Look, it may be that this message and the article that I wrote is like a, is like a message in a bottle that I will cast into the tumultuous waters of the internet and pray that someone at a future date reads them. But there were those of us who said no. There were those of us who said, this isn't going to happen. There are two quotes that run through my brain constantly, and, and especially in the wake of, of, these announcement this week, of these announcements this week that I'd like to share with you. The first is from uh, Star Wars. The second is uh, from Battlestar Galactica, but also the Bible, apparently, <laughs> which I didn't know when I looked it up because, you know, Anyway, so this is how this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. This line has haunted me for many years. I've written songs about this line. The real world is never so climactic as the movies would have us believe. It is for the writers of history to weave that narrative that becomes our story. And I'd like you to, I'd hope you can reflect. I hope you can reflect on this. For all of human history, we have walked and interacted with one another with the belief that our neighbor was not carrying a deadly plague. There, of course, have been times of pandemic, but like the melting snows in spring, those times give way to times of renewal where humanity can flourish once again. Social trust is a basic element of a society, of a people, of a culture. Like I said before, this week, places like New York announced a not mandatory vaccine passport for venues that wish to open. This should be a line in the sand for a people that claim the that claim the birthright of liberty and freedom. But it's far more likely that this line in the sand will be washed away by a tide of apathy. Why? For the reason I just said before. Your human brain is designed to have things make sense. Your human brain is designed to believe what people with more status and power than you assert. This isn't bro programming. This isn't brainwashing. It's fundamental. It's as fundamental to your being as legs are for walking. In other words, given the right environment, most people will do what they are told. Tell people to wash their hands compulsively? Of course. Tell businesses to close, they will. Tell people to wear a mask, they get used to it. Tell people to get vaccinated, anything to get back to normal. Papers, please? Yes, sir. Destroy the other? We're not there yet. This isn't, this isn't like proving how old you are to get into a bar. 
This creates a culture. This creates a society, a people where you must prove to be pure before you do something that we would consider normal. And every single word that I'm saying right now is chosen carefully. Make no mistake, this is about purity in the worst possible sense of that word. This is activating things in your brain that your brain is evolutionarily designed to activate when things are said in a certain way. That's meant for you to go crazy. That's why we've seen such a disconnect on this issue. You have never worried. If you're a germaphobe, maybe, but most people have never worried whether the others, whether the other people around you were deathly ill when you went to a massive concert or a crowded bar in the past. The only reason why you care today is because you have been conditioned to by the government. This brings me to the second quote that's been running through my brain and the title of this piece. All this has happened before and all this will happen again. I would laugh if the implications for what's coming weren't so dire. Just before Christmas, you might remember, December 23rd, I published this piece. And I, was, and I was told, I was told by people that I was being hyperbolic. Well, God, I wish I was. If showing proof of vaccination becomes required for most social events, it dramatically shifts the nature of how you interact with other humans. Note, there's a very important distinction here. Proof of vaccination. I have no issues with people getting the vaccine. Zero. Why would I? Vaccines have saved millions of lives. And if you feel that getting the vaccine is the best course of action for you, then go do that. Do what you feel is best for you, your family, and your livelihood. But there is a line that we cannot cross. Currently, vaccine certifications are a formality. Certain institutions like a school will require them for attendance. Just last year, it would have been considered ridiculous to think that you would need one to go to a concert. After all, if you've already been vaccinated, you stand a 99.9% .9 chance of being okay. Noticing and categorizing difference is a biological impulse that can be hijacked by parasitic ideologies. There is also psychological research to support the claim that the psychology of disgust which can be triggered by disease, fuels hateful rhetoric between an in-group and an out-group. If we split the country between those who will and won't take the vaccine, you are left with a problem. The vaccinated will have their own lines, their own events, and first access to services based on their compliance. The people who choose not to take one vaccine out of the countless others for a disease with a 99% recovery rate, very important thing to ponder, by the way. Most of the time, you're getting a vaccine for something that is highly likely to kill you should you catch it. Not, that's not what we're talking about with COVID-19. Less than 1% of the population, I feel for the families, less than 1% of the population has passed away, at least the statistic I saw. And if I'm going to pull out my handy dandy calculator and do, I don't know exactly what the toll is at, but let's say 600,000 divided by 350 
350 million, 0 0.002. So if we go, that's 0.1%, 0.2% of the population. I think I saw 0.6 earlier. If you split the country between those who will and look at what they're doing. They're already, people have come out and said it already on places like Twitter. Do you not understand that we are not so different as human beings? The way our brains work <laughs> is a consequence of some particularities, but we still, but there's a reason why we have things like the Myers Briggs and the big five personality tests. It's because we all kind of fall into similar patterns. All this has happened before, all this has happened again. There is nothing new under the sun. If we split the country between those who will and won't take the vaccine, the vaccinated will have their own lines, their own events, and first access to services based on their compliance. The people who choose to not take one vaccine out of the countless others for a disease with a 99% recovery rate will have to deal with separate lines, longer wait times, and be segregated from the vaccinated population. Does this sound like any other time in human history? It won't be enough to mandate these passports. There will be an accompanying propaganda mission that will stir up emotions that will rival the inquisitions and witch hunts of old. If you think I'm being hyperbolic, Think about, this, think about the story of the woman who gets tackled by the police in the bank for not wearing a mask or the people at the Bath and Body Works, the workers who tackle a woman for not wearing a mask because that makes sense. We have to worry about catching a disease so we're going to get into a fight with somebody and our masks are going to fall off. There are even articles, and, and there will be more of them, mark my words, encouraging people to berate those who won't comply with mask mandates. Life will get worse with the vaccine passport. Many out there, the LP in Kentucky for one, will liken this to the Star of David and other insignia Jews and outsiders were forced to wear in Nazi Germany. This is not the case. They are wrong. These so-called passports, in that they represent compliance with a regime, are like the armbands worn by Nazi party members. You were taught the lesson growing up that we should never forget the travesties of the past. In reality, you will sleep and dream away the bad visions of what is happening around you because there won't be an obvious racial impact. Given that I've been awake, I don't have that luxury. So, so please understand this because I'm frankly a little worried at what I'm seeing. All right, palate cleanser. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's dog. Uh, this is, uh, I, okay, so theme for this week is human behavior, I guess. I, I write in themes, it tends to be the case. And human behavior has always been an interest of mine. But I also love dogs. Yeah, it's cheesy. And it might go without saying for some, but I really, really do love dogs. I grew up with them. And while right now I am not a dog owner, one of my childhood pups is still with us. And when I visit him, it brings me immense joy. And since it's Easter, I'll get to see him this weekend. 
The tradition of presidents publicizing man's best friend seems to trace back to Warren Harding, or at least that's what Wikipedia said. Certainly in my lifetime, what kind of dog the president owns or doesn't own is a topic of many a fluff piece. I want to talk about why I love dogs, why I think it matters, and what kind of why I think it matters what kind of dog you own, and the sad truth of why I think Biden's dog, Major, has now attacked two people since Biden assumed the presidency and apparently he took a shit in the White House. One of the keenest insights that I have learned from Michael Malice relates to our furry friends. Paraphrasing his point, you can look to dogs to better understand human behavior as humans and canines have co-evolved. They have learned from us and we have learned from them. Here's a really interesting little, a little snippet from a piece I found from the National Geographic that kind of talked about the early proto dogs. Uh, you know, cause I think um, as a kid, you're kind of taught that, well, we domesticated the dog, right? And so what this article argues is kind of the opposite. So most likely it wasn't that human beings domesticated um, other, that, that domesticated ancient wolves because the theory, at least one theory is that we actually got rid of other predators because we didn't want them competing with, uh, for our resources in our land. So they say most likely it was wolves that approached us, not the other way around probably while they were scavenging around garbage dumps on the edge of human settlements. The wolves were bold, but aggressive. The, or excuse me, the wolves that were bold, but aggressive would have been killed by humans. And so the only ones that would survive are the ones that were bold, but friendly. Friendliness caused strange things to happen in wolves. And so you see, let's say that there's one wolf pack. Let's say that there's one wolf pack outside of one human settlement. This is, this is extrapolating the point. If there's one wolf pack outside of one human settlement, and let's say that there's, you know, two males and two females and the, the male and the, there's a very aggressive male. Who's also not very friendly. And then there's a very, or uh, there's an aggressive male. Who's also not really friendly, but he's very bold. And then there's a very bold male and female pair who are also though, they have this like, they have this genetic abnormality that makes them a little more friendly. And so they're not going to initially attack a human being. And let's say each of them have six pups. Well, if that, if that happens the way genetics works, you know, some of those pups are going to be aggressive and friendly. Some of those puffs are, are, are bold and friendly. And then some of them are going to be bold and very aggressive and, and like trying to attack the humans. Well, guess what's going to happen to those dogs that try to attack the humans? Well, they're going to be killed right? Because it's your life or mine. And so you're going to die. But the ones that are friendly aren't, which means they get to continue to breed. And so over the very, over a small, you know, we've domesticated the, like people have domesticated the Fox through selective breeding in this manner. That was kind of, you know, more done with a mod with modern humans who have more resources at their disposal, but in a very organic way, that's what this article is arguing happened with wolves, ancient wolves, proto dogs, Friendliness caused strange things to happen in the wolves. They started to look different. Domestication gave them splotchy coats, floppy ears, wagging tails. In only several generations, these friendly wolves would have become very distinctive from their more aggressive relatives, but the changes did not affect just their looks. Changes also happened to their psychology. These proto-dogs evolved the ability to read human gestures because they're smart creatures. It's interesting to consider this is my point, that it wasn't the dominance of humans that led to this historically beneficial relationship, but the acuity and friendliness 
of certain proto-dogs. 101 Dalmatians, I'm told, was one of my favorite movies as a child. I recall this particular scene where Pongo is looking to find his pet John a mate. He looks from his English flat to the street to examine the dogs and their pet humans. The artists of 101 Dalmatians cleverly illustrated for the young minds that given the variety of humans and the variety of dogs, there's a tendency for us humans to pick a dog that suits our personality, perhaps even one to match how we look. There is a cultural truism. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. There is another one for man's best friend. There are, no there are no aggressive breeds, just bad owners. Allow me here to shoehorn in a point I like to make when I'm met with the eye-rolling social media campaigns to, quote, adopt, don't shop. Of my three childhood, a quick, quick, quick history of my three childhood dogs, one was a rescue, one was purchased from a breeder, and the third was purchased from a pet store and presumably sourced from what we refer to as a puppy mill. They were, are, all awesome. And there is something to be said elsewhere about some of the nefarious practices and perverse incentives that put into place by corporate pet stores and other organizations. I just want to point out to the kind-hearted people, just like the, the kind-hearted, listen, there are kind-hearted people and kind-hearted people get taken advantage of, okay? That's the way of things, if you're not careful. And that's why you have to put your trust and your faith in good sources and good people. So I just want to point out to the kind-hearted people who say adopt, don't shop, somewhere a puppy is still going to have to die. I know, it's not nice for me to say it, but even an animal rights organization, quote-unquote, like PETA, will euthanize animals that don't find a home, that can't find a home. Whether a shelter or a pet store, these sorts of things happen. Their dogs will be euthanized. Personally, I want to buy direct from a breeder or adopt a dog when I get one in the future. I don't have one at the moment, but I resent the notion that somebody who would want to raise a puppy is somehow less than one who would adopt an adolescent or adult dog. So I'll make an exception for somebody who would adopt a geriatric dog. The Biden family, unsurprisingly, capitalized on the adopt, don't shop phrase. Capitalized isn't even the right word. They exploited it. The Biden family exploited the adopt, don't shop phrase and fanaticism when they adopted one of their German shepherds major. I think they're both not adopted from the same litter, actually. So I might have gotten that wrong. Here's, here's from NPR. Here's the story. In early 2018, NPR, by the way, is literal government propaganda. It's, it's paid for by the government. In early 2018, the shelter received a litter of six German Shepherd puppies, including the future first dog. The puppies were in a medical crisis. They were very sick, said Patrick Carroll, executive director of the Delaware Humane Association. They had gotten into a sub toxic substance. We're not sure what. The dogs were lethargic, vomiting, and hospitalized for a few days. President Joe Biden began fostering major top Oh, that means top picture. Shortly after the dog arrived at the Delaware Humane Association in March 2018, the pups bounced back. They recovered with fluids and medication. The shelter posted to Facebook in March 2018 in search of foster homes. According to Carol, Ashley Biden sent the post to her father, knowing he was looking for a companion for the aging champ. Joe Biden showed up. 
he just dropped in on Easter Sunday of all days. Who? And wanted to meet the puppies. Who? Sorry, I'm sure this guy Carol's a nice dude, but come on now. Soon Major was in foster with the Bidens, and within months, the news broke that he had found his four, in parentheses, forever. Jesus Christ. Can we have some professionalism, people? Biden returned to the shelter with a grown major to officially adopt him in November 2018. Okay, so Biden's had this dog now for almost three years. It'll be three years this year. As any dog lover knows, German shepherds, the 79-year-old Biden, let's put that in perspective, shall we? German shepherds are a particularly bright and energetic breed. They require training, activity, and an intelligent hand. I hadn't looked into the story of Major before, but the fact that he was rescued as a pup and not an adult makes what has happened now twice at the White House very concerning. See, if he was adopted as an adolescent or as an adult dog, you know, and rescued from like a fighting ring or a really bad and abusive environment, you can understand that even with all the training and love in the world, especially if everybody's going to wear a mask around him, right? And, you know, you're literally not going to, he's not going to see the human face that they are evolved to see and respond to. You're going to, you can imagine why a dog with a horrible, abusive upbringing would, would, would lash out at people. But no, that's not what happened. Instead, he was raised as a pup and the only house he's ever known was that of the Bidens. According to NBC News, at the beginning of March, Major bit a Secret Service agent and was then sent away to the family's home in Delaware. Recently brought back to the White House, he has since bitten a groundkeeper. Excuse me. He has since bitten a groundkeeper, reportedly, who has been treated at the medical facilities at the White House. Once is a fluke. Twice shows a pattern. Here is what it demonstrates to me. We all know somebody who has gotten the wrong kind of dog. The obese couch potato who bought a greyhound. The frail old man who really wanted a mastiff. The aggressive asshole who just had to get a pit bull. Or the malevolent social climber who just had to get a chihuahua to put in her purse. As a consumer of dog training and rescue shows, and you know, having dogs myself, I know that the breed isn't as important as the person who is taking on the responsibility of owning a dog. The careful and attentive owner will help smooth their animal's edges, and with some luck, the dog will do the same. It unfortunately does not surprise me at all to learn that Joe, Joe Biden's dog is navigating like a ship with no rudder. Unfortunately, the animal can only rise to the environment in which he exists. Given that a politician is almost, by definition, more show than substance, the politically timed adoption of his dog, Major, means that the poor pup never really had a chance. Think about it. His owner, his owner is older than the average life expectancy. How can it be expected that this dog has had any sort of discipline? If I wanted to act like a, like a soothsayer and read tea leaves, I could draw larger conclusions about the state of Joe Biden's White House. Unfortunately, I know better. He is the figurehead who adopted a trophy dog because they thought it would make a good photo op. That's it. Now there's a chance that this dog might have to be put down. 
At the very least, it seems unlikely he will live a full, happy, doggy life with a loving owner. If you're going to adopt or shop for a dog, I don't really care. But do make sure you go through the necessary training or buy a breed that is in line with your lifestyle. And lament. That's all I have to say on the matter. Um, let's talk about the content recommendation for this week. And then we are going to, and then I'll end with the story of Georgia, which is interesting because it seems kind of like nobody has, uh, seems like a lot of people have kind of forgotten about this story. So what I sent out was, um, let's see here. I just, just a little bit, uh, libertarians was trending. We're trending on Twitter on Wednesday because the libertarian party of Kentucky had a tweet comparing the vaccine passports to the stars worn by the Jewish people in Nazi Germany. As I will continue to say, these passports, a.k.a. show me your papers, are far closely, far closer to the armbands worn by Nazi party members. But the heart of the LP in Kentucky is in the right place. I have never asked the listeners and subscribers of this show to agree with me, but you need to think about the ramifications of this kind of policy, and I laid them out at the beginning of today's show. Um, today, if you'd like, you can also check out what Dave Smith had to say, the libertarian Tupac, who's discussing the political, who's discussing the political take that I think you need to consider. So if you want somebody else saying what I was saying today, uh, you can check out what Dave Smith had to say. He is the man. So Monday's piece, I kind of thought this was going to be the bulk of, t- of this week's show, interestingly enough, but Monday's piece is called fear and loathing in Georgia. And I ask a question. Are we returning to a Jim Crow South? So apparently, Georgia passed some laws recently. Here's how USA Today covers it. Voting rights groups vowed Friday to fight against a new election law in Georgia, they say, would erect a wall of barriers for voters of color not seen since the Jim Crow era. They also blasted the arrest of a Georgia state representative, a black woman, who attempted to watch the signing of the state's new election law. We're back at Jim Crow era, said Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter, a nonpartisan civic engagement group based in Georgia. I kind of laugh at the nonpartisan thing. Our fight, to, our fight to support and protect democracy is not over. Note that you know using democracy is an abstraction here. Georgia officials approved Thursday a sweeping voting rights measure that would overhaul the state's election rules. Hours later, Governor Brian Kemp, a Republican, And the state's former secretary of state signed it into law while some Democrats and voting rights activists protested at the state capitol. The Georgia law would, amongst other things, require a photo ID to vote absentee by mail, cut the period to request an absentee ballot, and place limits on ballot drop boxes. Now, mind you, this is not the way the piece was. What I'm putting is the first couple of paragraphs and then halfway down the piece, which we talked about why that happens last week. So the Georgia law would, amongst other things, require photo ID if you voted absentee, cut the period to request an absentee ballot, and place limits on ballot drop boxes. It would also give more control over election officials to state legislatures. It would also make it illegal to hand out water to voters online, in line. In recent elections, Georgia voters, particularly those in black neighborhoods, which is just a throwaway line, have waited many hours in line to vote. Why is it a throwaway line, people? Because Atlanta is always a place where there's super long lines. Florida's a lot like that too. And I used to live in Florida, so I kind of know, right? There, if, 
if you pay attention, I understand that I understand that people don't pay it. Not everybody pays attention to politics. And a lot of times it happens every four years. And so frankly, you know, I, I probably have to wait until the next presidential cycle before the show will really take off. But for those of you here now, you get to learn a very important lesson that if you pay attention, you're smarter than most of the people who cover politics. And if you pay attention, you know that places like Georgia and places like Atlanta have notoriously long lines. Here's the skeptical lesson. Whenever there is a flurry of media coverage about how a new bill, media coverage about a bill that you're supposed to hate or you're supposed to love, by the way, you'll usually see some kind of weird conflation that prima facie on the face of things seems ludicrous or crazy. Even somebody like Dave Smith, who I love, was mocking this measure because he's reading the same kind of story I was. The only difference between when Dave was mocking it to where I am today is a few more days um, and Twitter to find the answers to these outstanding questions. Before we get into it, let us also not forget that racism is the oldest and most persistent method of social control in American politics especially. It does not matter which way the racism is directed, but anytime wealthy, powerful, and connected individuals make appeals to historical racism, I'm skeptical and you should be too. This isn't because I deny the existence of racial bias and nasty bigotry. It's because I recognize that ignorance and stupidity are at the root of most racial disagreements. If you are one of the most or one of the countless Americans who reduce the ills of the world to a single group of people, be it whites, blacks, Asians, Latinos, etc., you are participating in your further enslavement. And I don't use that word loosely. You will run yourself ragged trying to defend every claim brought against a bill like this. I'm not going to do that because I'm not that interested in it. But what I do want to do for my listeners and readers is address the spurious claim about water bottles and give my thoughts generally on the hot button topic of voter ID. I'm supposed to believe that we have re-entered the Jim Crow South as a result of this bill. Perhaps it should be said that it's even worse now. While the grotesque separation between the races meant that there were separate lines for water fountains in the mid-20th century, today you can't even bring someone standing in line a bottle of water. <gasps> I'm sure somebody will say with no irony that Republicans want voters to die of thirst. After all, the media keeps reporting that you can't bring water bottles to people in line without quoting the portion of the bill without without quoting the portion of the bill in question. While most paid journalists will not bother to quote actual legislation, think about that for a minute. People whose job it is will not quote actual legislation in the pieces they write. I went to check out the bill and ran a very simple search for the term water. The only result for water was in section 33, the beginning of which reads with my emphasis. Man, legalese is boring. Said chapter is further amended by revising subsection A and E of code section 21-2-414 relating to restrictions on campaign activities and public opinion polling within the vicinity of polling places, cellular phone use prohibited, prohibition of candidates from entering certain polling places and penalty as follows. Quote, A, no person shall solicit votes in any manner or by any means or method, nor shall any person distribute or display any campaign material, nor shall any person give offer to give or participate in the giving of any money or gifts, including but not limited to food, drink, food and drink to an elector. 
nor shall any person solicit signatures for any petition, nor shall any person other than election officials discharging their duty establish or set up any tables or booths on any day in which ballots are being cast. Now, subsection E of section 33 that amends uh, that amends subsections A and E of code section 21-2-414 says the following to offer a clarification. This code shall not be construed to prohibit a poll officer from distributing materials as required by law, which are necessary for the purpose of instructing electors or from distributing materials prepared by the secretary of state, which are designed solely for the purpose of encouraging voter participation in the election being conducted or from making available self-service water from an unattended receptacle to an elector waiting in line to vote. Okay, so allow me, LB, to make sense of the convoluted language we use to write legislation. It would appear in Georgia, political candidates, or more likely their volunteers, have passed out snacks and water for the notorious long lines that exist in the state. The politicians who oppose bills like this don't care that there is an obvious clarification made for water within the bill and the agenda-driven actors in the press have no desire to fact-check the claims because they're not interested in giving you any sort of real perception of the world. I don't particularly care about who hands out what out, who hands out what who hands out what outside a polling place, but it is commonplace for it to be illegal to try and persuade somebody outside of a polling place before they enter it by any means. There's always stories about this where some, somebody is doing something like handing out water bottles and that says, hey, vote for Tom Smith because Tom Smith is a good guy. Okay. I don't really care. You know who cares? Politicians. Like all law, who is in power determines how is it enforced. <laughs> In some jurisdictions, wherein the infamous MAGA hat caused people to be booted from polling places, in Georgia, they don't want you to hand out water. It's just the, it's just the rules of the game. This isn't like, there, there is no evidence to support the claim that you can't hand out water to people in Georgia. The only thing that I can, again, that I can come up with is that these like super PACs and campaigns are bringing voters to the polling booth and then giving them water and snacks to stand in the line so that they keep voting for the person that they want to vote. I, I didn't put this in the piece, but it makes me think if you've ever seen, um, oh gosh, what's the movie with Daniel Day-Lewis, American Gangster, right? With the five points and there's the Tammy Amy Hall politicians. So like these guys are supposed, these guys are, you know, it's election day. And so, <laughs> so they go, they grab the guys, they grab the drunkards out of the bar, they show, shove them in the election booth and then they bring them to the barbershop and they shave them and they tell them to go shut, they get, tell them to go vote again. Another funny story that comes to mind that's historically relevant is when Illinois was becoming a state. I was told we had one of those like reenactor dudes come to our school as a kid, and, you know, he kind of have to sit outside and he kind of like spins a story and i'm interested in history but the reenactors the reenactor is kind of a weird thing but i guess it works for kids and what he told me or what he told the class was that in you know when they were trying to become a state in illinois you had to get people to sign so that you could prove that you had enough people in the town and what they did was if you let's say you worked on a farm and you were heading into town to get some uh, provisions at the general store they would ask you to sign on your way into town. And when you were leaving the town, they would ask you to sign again. And when you said, hey, I already signed this on the way. And they said, doesn't matter. Please sign again, sir. And they would do that so they could pad the signatures. Politics is a dirty game. Anybody who pretends otherwise is lying to you. 
And they could be lying to themselves too, but then you shouldn't pay attention to them and you shouldn't listen to them. Let's talk about voter ID. Remember, for politicians, the reality of racial bias is less important than the rhetorical impact cries of racism have. For a state like Georgia, with the brutal history of Jim Crow and segregation, we see this on full display. Anyone who would seriously make the argument that requiring simple form of identification in order to vote is tantamount to the racial segregation implemented in the Jim Crow South is engaging in the worst kinds of political profiteering. It relies on hijacking your, nat your natural sense-making ability with an emotionally charged racial narrative. It goes something like this. In the past, people were racist. In the past, people, were ra people who were racist made it difficult for people of the race they didn't like to vote. In the past, people who were racist and made it difficult for the people of the race they didn't like to vote required freed slaves to prove who they were. Freed slaves, as such, had no way of doing this. Therefore, if anybody requires identification for voting, the only reason they would do so is because they are act actually racist themselves and would prefer people of the race they didn't like to not vote. Of course, such an argument doesn't follow as it relates to driving, flying, buying alcohol, buying tobacco, getting into a bar, being hired, or any number of common tasks you're required to show identification for in our current age. What's so different about voting then? For the cult of American democracy, voting is the means by which the powerful maintain their control. By giving people a sense of participation, they are able to maintain their power and have a ready-made excuse anytime the masses step out of line. It's not my fault you don't like this law, legislatures in Georgia will argue. You need to go out there and vote more the next time so it doesn't happen again. And then when it switches, then the other people get to say that. A mistake in politics is to engage with a propagandist the way you would a student who is eager to learn. Instead, you must be prepared to do rhetorical battle with them. Your reason is not a method of instruction in this case, but a sword to strike down your enemy. This goes for the COVID passports. This goes for this. This goes for any issue when we're talking about the political space. And how do I know this? Because I spent a long time pretending like this was an open forum and an exchange of ideas. It's not a, politics isn't a marketplace by definition. I don't personally find it objectionable to re register and require identification before people can vote. I don't think this discriminates against people of color as I don't think people of color, quote unquote, are incapable of the commonplace action of having some form of identification. Furthermore, the belief that such groups are incapable of obtaining ID, of obtaining a source of ID strikes me as discriminatory. And yeah, I'll say it, it's racist. In effect, having few or no restrictions on voting makes it easier for the worst kinds of politicians to manipulate the system to their advantage. This holds, by the way, across party lines. It's the Democrats right now who are crying foul. It's going to be the Republicans somewhere else in the near future. A hat tip to user on Twitter at EODTEC89 for doing some legwork on the various segments of the bill. Thanks for the follow, dude. Uh, he put some interesting stuff out there. I'd encourage you to see. Um, and I'll just make a final note as this relates to the COVID passports. There is something different, okay? I'm going to make two points. The first is a very simple one, which is there is something incredibly different about changing the way we interact with each other on a fundamental society and the general principle that, eh, you know, who I am, and then somebody has an easy check. 
But there's also the point to be made that the government is at the root of all of this. It makes perfect sense that in a world where the government wouldn't be exactly the way it is now, that you would still have some kind of identification or some kind of, you know, some kind of way of proving who you are. I just don't see, I just don't see how the vac, I just don't see how the vaccine thing isn't a massive step in the wrong direction. Again, unless you're starting from the premise, the only, and, and you'll notice, by the way, you'll notice the people, you'll notice the people who are most likely to not get it and say, it's a free, you know, it's a private business. They can do what they want. You'll notice that most of these people, they're, they, or their families don't have any experience with totalitarian regimes. This is just a truism across all political, all political persuasions and in general, right? People who don't understand the ramifications of requiring a COVID passport to go to the grocery store do not understand what totalitarianism looks like or how a society collapses, because that is exactly what this will do. This strikes at the fundamental trust that exists within a society. And the people in the media and the people in government who are pushing this, they want that trust to break down. Why? Because the more that societal trust breaks down, the more they can increase their power and exert their influence over you. These are the same people that have had you locked in your home for the last year. These are the same people that lie you into wars. These are the same people that justify the bailouts to the big banks, which is still happening. What do you think the vaccines are, if not a massive wealth transfer to multi-billion dollar corporations? And yeah, it, might keep, and it likely will keep you, make it less likely that you'll get sick. This is a time to stand and be counted. And if you can't stand right now, I'm going to ask you to subscribe to the show and I'm going to ask you to support me so that I can bring a mission of better sense making to more people. Because I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. So make sure you go online and follow me at the LB Moniz. like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.